this local community are completely ignored from the government is the investors. This is what annoys people when you get more information. You intend to try to defend their cause, but you end up being pressured also. Hi there, and welcome to Voices from the Institute for Human Rights and Business, also known as IHRB. I'm Deborah Sago, and in this podcast, you will hear from people working to make respect for human rights part of everyday business. You've just heard from Dr. Isakele Munyukufama from DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. My colleague Francesca Ferben from IHRB's Commodities and Oceans program has been speaking to Isakelu about why human rights matter when we're talking about minerals. So Francesca, why do minerals matter? So minerals matter, minerals or metals, transition minerals matter because as you say, they're in almost everything that we use from day-to-day life. Commodities like cobalt, coltan, tungsten, and so on. There are a variety of others. They're all in cars, phones, almost everything technological that you can imagine. They're all from somewhere and they're all mined by somebody. They are called commodities because they start at the mine and then they end up being traded in bulk through commodity exchanges. That might be a copper exchange or a general metals exchange. So they are traded normally through commodity traders who then sell them on to the people who manufacture those goods, manufacture the mobile phones or the cars or whatever. Demand for these transition minerals, these metals, is going to increase exponentially as we transition to a low-carbon economy. And one of the reasons for that is because there will be a spike in demand for, for example, copper needed for wind farms. Another huge example is electric cars. So what's the problem with the mining of minerals? So a lot of the reserves of minerals, such as copper, cobalt, tungsten, and so on, are located in countries where regulation is either thin or thinly implemented, such as the case in places like the Democratic Republic of Congo. What this means is that mining companies can come in and extract these minerals and not either not abide by the rules which will allow fair distribution across the community or that will encourage community engagement or local employment, but instead using practices that might damage the local environment, draw too much water, upset the infrastructure, wear down the infrastructure, and so on, without any of the benefits of those minerals or the sales of those minerals going back into the communities they came from. With that context in mind, tell me more about Isakelu. So Isakelu is a medical doctor. He runs a hospital, which I believe he set up and created in South Kivu province. The local town nearby is Bukavu, I believe it's called, of about a million inhabitants. And the hospital that he built is in a very remote area. There aren't established roads, for example, even to this area. And this is the area where mining companies have been coming in, mining for minerals, not necessarily having the right licenses or having paid for licenses, perhaps in a corrupt manner, not following regulations regarding safe extraction, wearing out any infrastructure that there is and so on. So he became involved in campaigning in order to make these companies accountable, either through the United Nations Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, or on local legislation and regulation. 
So in a moment, you're going to hear Isikeli talking about mining in the region of South Kivu and Democratic Republic of Congo. And the reason I wanted to talk to Isikeli in particular is because what happens in DRC affects pretty much all of us. There is undoubtedly some technical item in your house that contains a mineral that was sourced in DRC. Thanks, Francesca. Now, let's hear from Isokelu, who spoke to us from Bukavu, a city in the South Kivu province of DRC. Isokelu paints a picture of what day-to-day life is like there. The routine life depends from either you are in Bukavu town or you are in a rural area, especially the Kamituga town where they do mining. When you are in Bukavu, of course, this is a, a town center where you have educated people. We, we work in office, we, we do education, we have some trade in and out business going on with China, with Dubai. They do import and export quite a lot. And this import export, of course, is being fueled by this mineral, which is bringing in outside the currency and and it's fueling the total economy. But when you leave this area, you go in rural, you find the population are mildly peasant farmers. They farm cassava, they farm rice and maize. They work, but they do not produce sufficient food for themselves. Until today, especially in this mining area, they are depending on food, even coming from Bukavu town now. And this food is above the affordability of someone working in this company. So poverty circle is worse. You also record military who are not very respectful to the local population, especially those ones, they misuse force to secure their bosses. Of course, there is no other alternative source of income from for this rural community except this mineral. Gender challenge is there. A lot of sexual violence is happening. There is access to primary education. Secondary school is being attended, but in a cost shared between parents and the government, and these schools are becoming harder for the local community. So, so very few children attend high school. Health sector is also somehow accessible, although it is beyond the affordability of the community, but the government managed to set an health center in almost all five kilometer, square kilometer, you will find one health unit. You have possibly a doctor for 10,000 people. So a vivid picture painted there, and day-to-day life can be quite challenging for people, the people of South Kivu. Indeed. So... You've got this area which is rich in resources that the world needs and yet the local people are necessarily benefiting. Yes, and Isakele goes on to explain more about the impact mining is having on communities in South Kivu. Of course, when you we want to speak about the impact of this mining in the area, this is where the door for human rights defender become open. Because this mining did not start today. Remember the first colonial period where Belgium company were exploiting mineral in this area. They've been receiving gold, they've been receiving the income, but the impact in the rural communities was no infrastructure, the roads are not made. Even myself to drive a 4x4 Jeep 
to reach a hospital which is a 200 kilometer away from Bukavu. I spent an entire day. This is a muddy road through rivers. But still, you remember the people who are making millions from this area are also using the same road and they don't care about the road. And when there is no road, you can imagine the rest of the infrastructure. Housing condition of the population is poor. Electricity is not accessible. Water is not accessible. And we are still struggling with waterborne disease within the community. And I can tell you, we have malnutrition. We have all the figures of poverty around us while people are making millions from this area. What about jobs? Are they being given to local communities or is it sometimes even foreign, even possibly foreign laborers? But the current picture is worse. When Chinese came in, they came with almost all the labor force. They use Chinese to dig, they use Chinese to clean, they have Chinese everywhere. They use Congolese workforce for guidance. They don't know the roads. They don't know the pathway in the bush. They try to get some Congolese to show them the road. But when it comes for employment, most of the employers are actually foreigners. So these metals and minerals are being extracted. Local communities are seeing little benefit and infrastructure is being walled down further by these companies' activities. Yes, that's right. And these companies, well, all companies, should be abiding by the UN guiding principles that I mentioned before. These are a UN set of principles that are designed under three pillars. Is the government is required to protect human rights and companies are required to respect human rights. And third pillar is, is remedy. Just to go back to the second pillar, all companies are required to follow the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. And they, they got, that guidance includes um, identifying risks, human rights risks down your supply chain, addressing them, putting in practice ways of preventing or mitigating those adverse human rights impacts, tracking performance, stakeholder engagement is incredibly important part of it. So talking to the local communities, engaging with the local communities and communicating on how you're how you're seeking to minimize your adverse human rights impacts. That's what's supposed to happen, at least, but it's not happening in South Kivu. It's, well, to a vast extent, it's not happening in South Kivu. This local community are completely ignored from the government to the investors. And this is what actually annoys people when you get more information. You intend, you intend to try to defend their cause, but you end up being pressured also either from the government to these same investors and you become in an insecure condition yourself. What does Isakela mean by being in an insecure condition? As a, as a human rights defender or as someone defending your local community, you can put yourself at risk. And Isakela was in fact imprisoned for a period of time because of his work in trying to make the companies who are mining illegally or unethically in South Kivu improve their practices. So Isakela himself, you know, he's not a human rights defender by by profession. He's a doctor and he's just come to this because he he saw the damage that these companies working unethically in his in his area were doing to the local community, to the people, to the infrastructure and so on. So he became a human rights defender simply from the role he occupies in his local community. 
I got contact with miners. I met some miners investigator and they shared with me. I assisted them to do prospection in some of the area around the hospital. They finished the investigation and left. But in their suite, some other company came on board and this one were not fair with the local community. I started to oppose with them at the local level, showing them maybe what should have been done. Later on, it became Chinese finance company, and these were the one which got completely opposed to my way of doing things, and they tried to push me away from my own working company, but they also had some support from government officers. The other day, they jailed me and Bulambo had to push a lot to have me freed. And since then, I'm doing monitoring of human rights violations around mining in the Mwenga territory of South Kivu province. I monitor human rights violations happening around this mining, and I report them through Lembelembe. We are interested in exactly what is happening about the staff. Second, I'm trying to follow up on the impact level. And lastly, we trained actually some a team of human rights defenders from this area. We made them aware of the UN, UN guideline regarding mineral and business and human rights. We are consolidating a network to really monitor what is the human rights about in this business sector, especially in this mining area. So Issa Kehler does this work as a human rights defender on top of his work as a medical doctor and running a hospital. And he has since become interested in the work of human rights defenders more widely and now works with Bishop Bulamba Lembe Lembe, who is not only a RAFTO laureate, so RAFTO Human Rights Defenders Laureate, the RAFTO Foundation for Human Rights gives out this prize every year to human rights defenders who do excellent work in the field. And Bishop Lembe Lembe uh, runs a network of human rights defenders and helps to train them in how to deal with companies in a way that is effective both for the community and the companies. And this work is needed, particularly in DRC, because there's a general lack of support from the government in implementing regulations that do exist in DRC but are poorly implemented. You know, the challenge in Congo when you talk about the government is you sometimes wonder if there is a government or not. But what is there is the government is a structure, set a policy. Actually, a very nice policy. I, re I read through and it is sufficiently good for someone who implemented. Unfortunately, this policy is not being supported into implementation. When you come into the field, you find investors who are ignoring this policy and these government officers who are supposed to support the implementation of this policy are not sufficiently strong to bring this investor to abide to this policy. And this is where the local community failed to get any income or interest from this business. What about for example, your National Human Rights Institution. Is that effective in terms of business and human rights in DRC? Of course, there is a National Human Rights Institute in Congo. 
But remember that this, how big is this call? You have an office in Kinshasa. You, when you reach province, this office becomes weaker and weaker until it doesn't have any focal point when you go in rural. Of course, Bukavu is well known for an active civilian society. You have a lot of NGOs who try to also communicate around mineral, but they have the same concern. They are not sufficiently supported or backed by the government in order for them to bring things to the fair level. What do you think government should be doing? What the government is supposed to be doing, the government wrote it in its policy. The challenge is the government should consider the value of imposing the practice of what they abide to into a policy for its own staff first. You know, the challenge in Congo is always corruption. I think this is where the government needs to put more pressure on its own chain of command so that the policy is implemented. So, Francesca, is this lack of policy implementation common? Unfortunately, it is something we see in many countries, as I said earlier, where legislation is not rigorously implemented or where legislation is lacking. It's not purely something that happens in the extractive industries, but it is very common in extractive industries. What about further down the supply chain? Obviously, these commodities, these transition minerals, metals, whatever it is that's being mined, they then get sold down or they get processed or refined. And as I said earlier, before they end up in the products, they are sold through commodity trading exchanges. And commodity traders are a huge player in getting these minerals from the mine to the market. And although it's sometimes very hard for commodity traders to conduct human rights due diligence, just because it's difficult doesn't mean to say it's not incredibly important. For example, many, many of the world's commodities are traded through Switzerland for historical reasons. And for example, the Swiss Federal Department of Foreign Affairs has published guidance. You can find it at www.commodity-trading.org, which leads commodity traders through a process of human rights due diligence in terms of commodities and where they come from. So commodity traders, the mine site can feel very far away, right? They're often sometimes even dealing in theoreticals and they, they can feel very distant from the mine site. But nonetheless, it is incredibly important that that is taken into consideration. And for Isakalu, consideration of local communities is extremely important, both for the mining companies there on site and further down the supply chain through commodity traders all the way to companies that sell the products that these commodities end up in? I think for a company, the first good thing they should do, which is missing in South Kivu, is to have a proper registration. This registration will allow everyone to identify this company and make sure that the local citizen knows that we are dealing with this specific business company. Second is this company should have proper address. These companies are there you find someone driving a truck, he says he's a company. Where is the office? You don't know. They are in the field, but they don't have a proper administrative point where you can go and discuss and share. And where to really find them? This is missing communication between companies and local communities.
they are giving you names which you you end up not knowing if that's the real name or not. So communities aren't necessarily anti-business per se. No, absolutely not. Quite the reverse. In fact, you know, Isakeli would say very strongly his message would be South Kivo would, would welcome with open arms companies that abide by the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. If you find a high standard business company, let them come to South Kivu. They will be warmly welcomed by the local population because this is what they've been looking for for quite long. Anyone who will come and set his business, attempt to talk to the local population, listen to them, try to find a way out to solve their own problem. Of course, this infrastructure is a core point and this infrastructure will assist this community and it will assist the same business company. So I think what this local population are expecting from this mining, they don't have a high standard than they will find it in well-informed countries. But they also need someone who can set a fair business and together they will progress. So you can hear there from what Isakelo is saying that a company that abides by the UN guiding principles can bring many benefits to a local community. I wanted to find out a bit more about the security companies employed by these mining companies in these local communities. There is a NAMI unit which is allocated the task to secure business, especially gold mining. But in this last five years, the challenge was that they hide themselves under a security, then they recruit the official army. And this official army come to secure business, although military are not allowed into business. The current mining code of Congo recommends that you should organize local safety, private security. And we even attempted to create a private social security for a company. Those one I told you they were fair. I they want to they wanted to remove local miners in their concession, I told them these people are living of this artisanal miner. What you do, they will be secure your concession, give them job through security. And this is what they did for five years at USA. Unfortunately, when Chinese came on board, they could not sustain such a deal. And they, they were not willing to pay them. And it was actually under the pressure of me asking them to pay those Dururo Resident, that's how I ended in jail. So it's really interesting what Isakele says there, because the International Code of Conduct Association, or ICOCA, is an organization that certifies private military security companies. And they recommend, just like Isakele says, that you use not just local companies, but local companies that are certified, who attain certain standards in terms of pay for their staff, how they behave around the local community, and their general conduct. And we would encourage private military security companies to get themselves certified with ICOCA. It gives them a USP if they're the only ones in the area, and it reassures companies, potential employees of those PMSCs that they will be treated well and that the local community will be treated well by those companies and those employees. Who would you say is responsible for ensuring that human rights are respected at mining sites? In summary, I guess you could say mining companies need to adhere to the UN guiding principles. 
governments need to ensure that laws exist and most importantly that they are implemented and implemented well. Downstream users such as commodity traders, tech companies, jewellery companies, because by the way, there's a lot of gold mined in South Kivu and uh, Tourmaline and things like that. They need to do human rights due diligence on the provenance of the raw materials that they use. And above all, all of the above need to listen to and respect the local communities where they operate. Thanks for that, Francesca. And thank you for listening to this episode of Voices, which is brought to you from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. Until next time, be sure to share and follow this podcast. That way you'll never miss an episode. And if you would like to find out more about IHRB's work, then head to ihrb.org.